Welcome to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. My name is Stacey and I'm so excited that you are joining me for season two of this podcast where we talk all things living a prophetic life. We have so many great conversations coming up, all purpose to equip and inspire you and to get you thinking about how God might be speaking to you and through you today. Yes, you. So let's go. Welcome to the Prophetic Collective Podcast Season 2. To kick off this brand new season, we are going on an 11 episode journey where we answer one of life's most defining questions. What is worship to you? Is it slow songs during a church service? Is it only for people who can sing? What if worship was more than a song and more than an experience within the four walls of the church? What if there was more to worship even than what we have experienced so far? What if we could unlock the fullness of worship and see it transform our everyday lives? These are the questions that Stacey tackles in her first book, Worship Is. These are also the questions we will tackle in this collection. And available to you today, as valued listeners of the Prophetic Collective, is a very special offer. Head to stacyhillier.com and purchase your very own copy of Worship Is using the code Prophetic Collective, all in caps, and you will get free express postage. Also available to podcast listeners is a free workbook that you can complete as you join in this Worship Is collection. Designed to be used with both the book and podcast collection, you can download your free copy at stacyhillier.com under the free resources tab. Hey everybody and welcome back friends. How are you enjoying this new collection? What are you learning? I'd love to hear from you. So reach out on social media and let me know your highlights, what you're loving, what could be improved. I'd love to hear from you. Now, I mentioned this last week, but this is the chapter in the book Worship Is that I get the most feedback on. This seems to be people's favorite. And here's a little secret for you. It's my favorite too. And so today my caption is worship is freedom. That's what we're going to talk about today. Worship is freedom. And I want to start by asking you a question. When was the last time that you felt truly free? Let me ask it again. Reflect. When was the last time you felt truly free? Maybe it's when you were on holidays. Maybe it was when you had no debt. Maybe it was like me partially BC before you had children. (laughs) Maybe it's when you were a child or when you were at uni. I've got a son going off to uni right now. Looks pretty free to me. Maybe it was when you lived at home and your parents paid for everything and you had no responsibilities. Yep, the good old days. Perhaps it's yesterday, today, and you're just literally William Wallace who runs around like freedom. Well, I'm going to be honest for a second. Full disclosure, I was asked this question in a book several years ago. And to be honest, it really undid me and my answer scared me. You see, I grew up in church my whole life. For goodness sake, I'm a PK, a pastor's kid who's gone into the family business. I'm a pastor myself. And we all know pastors have it all together. They're free as a bird, right? Don't we? Well, I've been serving God for 20 years now. I would think that I would be free. And yet this answer, this question really 
stumped me. And here's what I discovered as I processed this, that even those happy, clappy Pentecostals who freely dance and shout and jump for Jesus and look like they're completely free. And hear me, I'm like, I've got the t-shirt and the hat. I'm a proud member of the club. We can still be bound up on the inside and not living in the fullness of the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. And in fact, in my work with people, my own personal journey, that is more common than we might think. And so the odd paradox of asking myself this question was that my honest answer was a little bit like this. Well, I feel really free when I'm worshipping in church. I'm just not very sure I feel that free outside of worship. And so right there in that answer, I began the journey towards making sure my life was more congruent, more authentic when it came to the area of freedom. Now, by this, I was asking myself the questions like, how do I get to the place where I'm just as free outside of worship as when I'm in it? I mean, isn't this the very purpose of worship? That we're so transformed, so freed, so changed in his presence from the inside out that it changes how I live my everyday ordinary life. Shouldn't that be what it means? I mean, isn't worship my whole life anyway? So why is it that I felt really free for that 20 minutes in church, but not so free outside of that? And that led me to ask myself a very difficult question. Maybe you're asking yourself this question right now. If my freedom in worship was most free in those 20 minutes and not outside of that, had my worship become a performance? Had I learnt how just to play church and do all the right moves at just the right time? Or maybe an even deeper question, could those moments in worship actually be me at my purest, truest, most authentic, free self? And maybe that was just a glimpse for how I'm meant to live the whole of my life. Well, either way, my freedom and your freedom and our worship are more connected than we may like to acknowledge. Now, perhaps you're sitting there thinking, that's good for you. I'm not very free in worship. Well, I haven't always been this free in worship, and I'm going to share a bit about that. Maybe you're reading this and you actually feel more free in your work life than you do in your worship life. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, yep, cool, but I'm not extroverted or emotional. My freedom may look different than yours. We can agree on that. (laughs) The way we celebrate our freedom, the way we celebrate our freedom, it's absolutely affected by our personalities to some degree. But do you know what? We actually can't use our Enneagram numbers or the fact that we're an introvert as an excuse to mask the fact that perhaps we're not as free as we should be. You see, as Christians, our worship of God is meant to be so central that it directs every other area of our life. Another way that I could say this is that all of our life should flow from our well of worship. On the other hand, if our worship is dictated by or flows out of the culture of this world that tells us that we have value because of what we do, how much we have acquired, or what our job title is, we're approaching things the wrong way around. Reflect for a moment. I want to make this really simple. When you worship, you're not worshiping as a CEO. You're not worshiping as a nurse. 
You're not worshipping as a graphic designer. You're not worshipping as a chef. I'm not worshipping as a mum. I'm not even worshipping as a pastor. Shock horror. Those things might be my role, our assignments in life. But when it comes to worship, we're meant to worship in the freedom simply that we are God's child. A child who has been set free because Jesus purchased our freedom. We are not worshipping for freedom. We are worshipping from freedom. Now that's a subtle difference, but take that in. You are not worshipping for your freedom. You have been set free. We are worshipping from freedom. And it's actually only when we understand this revelation that the rest of our lives can begin to reflect the freedom we've been awakened to in our worship. I love Galatians 5.1. Apostle Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now notice here that Paul says we have been set free, not that we will be set free. We have been. And so again, we're faced with another paradox. If I have been set free, why aren't I feeling and living free in every area of our life? Well, Paul actually gives us the answer. We are still submitting to yokes of slavery in our lives every single day. And so our role, the journey I went on with the help of the Holy Spirit is to walk in the fullness of our freedom in Christ by identifying yokes and learning to walk unhindered by them. Now, the imagery that Paul used when he talked about this yoke of slavery was a very common image in Jewish and Hebrew culture and tradition. And therefore, we actually see it quite often in scripture and in Christian literature because it was easy for people to relate to. It was an easy metaphor for the people of the time. It's not as easy for us today. So let's just spend a few moments on that. The yoke was a tool that was used to bind and control animals or human prisoners together. And slaves were often bound together by a large wooden rod across their necks. And the yoke was attached by leather straps to plows. Then their arms were pulled out and tied to the sides of the bar. And they were forced to carry uh, things like large volumes of water, um, which were hung on the bar. And cattle were bound for productivity in the same way. And in each case, it's important to note that the yokes were instruments of production and symbols of slavery and submission. Don't miss that. I find that so interesting given that most of the areas we struggle to be free in or continue to be yoked to are often related to what we produce. We become enslaved by our misplaced identity as producers and products. We live in a consumerist society, so we need to be constantly aware of this. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. And when we don't understand this, we actually fall into submission to yokes of slavery. And living this way can often mean it becomes difficult for us to approach God's presence from the position of having already received our freedom. What actually happens is we come into God's presence and we bring our yokes of slavery with us. We bring our yoke of production, our misplaced identity, fear, pride, anxiety, insecurity, consumerism. I mean, you could insert your own one there, right? I've got quite the list. 
I want to share a story with you about when I began to awaken to my freedom. I was in my early 20s and I had the privilege of leading worship at a large leaders meeting for the church I was planted in and I was so excited. It was actually kind of a big deal in the culture and context of the of the time of our church to be entrusted with leading this meeting at my age and I love to lead worship. I love the team. I love the church I was part of and I knew it was an honor right. But if I'm honest, and I'm going to be, I'd grown quite proud in my heart about the honor that I was being given, both from God and my leaders. I had accepted the lie that I'd actually done something to earn this. Now, when I look back with a bit more wisdom and age under my belt, I can see that I was actually using my worship leading role to try to work my way towards freedom from insecurity. And that's okay because God is kind and he's gracious. And time and again, I can testify that it's been God's kindness that has led me to repentance. And that has awoken in me increasing levels of freedom as I've discovered that my identity and my security are found in him, not what I do. But this particular night, I was ignorant of the fact that I'm carrying hidden pride in my heart, but God wasn't. So right in the middle of the worship set, I sensed the Holy Spirit whisper to me, hey, Stacy, I want you to run around the room. Now, maybe you're more sanctified than me, but I just rebuked that thought, but it kept on coming. This voice kept on coming. I want you to run around the room. I want you to run around the room. Stacy. I want you to run around the room. And it was growing in urgency. So I did what any good worship leader would do. I led the congregation to a moment where they closed their eyes and raised their hands so that I would minimize my audience. And then I took off down the stairs and did what I thought would be one quick lap of the auditorium. Now, I'm not talking a small auditorium here, people. I'm talking 1,100 seats with a slight incline. It wasn't even physically an easy run. let alone what it was doing to my pride and ego. So as I near the stage after my lap, I'm thinking, not many people saw me. Holy Spirit says, go again, run again. Now, by this stage, I have to admit, I was starting to like get the William Wallace vibes. I was beginning to enjoy the run. I was Forrest Gump, just running, Stacy, run. I kept on going. I actually noticed that one of my friends had joined me and we ran like crazy people laughing together. I have to say, it was one of the most freeing things I'd ever done. Now, I'm sure some people thought I was weird. That's cool. Others wanted in and joined the run. Most people will have forgotten that ever happened, but I will never forget what happened on the inside of me. I awakened to the truth that in Christ, I was set free from caring what other people thought or even said. I was learning to literally run in my freedom. I broke free of a yoke. I didn't have to earn it with a perfect performance. I already had my freedom. I just had to learn to run with it. And these are the moments, perhaps not as dramatic for you, of awakening to our freedom that are available to us when we worship God and when we obey those small whispers. It broke pride and the fear of man in every area of my life. And look, I'd love to tell you I've never struggled with fear of man again, but that would be a lie. I have. It's actually one of the biggest giants we face when we worship. Whether we're leading worship, whether you stand in a congregation, whether you're worshipping at home, when we worship even in the secret place that nobody else sees, we can often be yoked to fear of man. Well, King David was a man who had a similar experience of awakening to his freedom in God's presence. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And we're going to look at it together. And you can find it in two places, in 1 Chronicles and in 2 Samuel. But before we unpack the story, let's actually have a bit of context to work with. 
David was a man chosen by God and he rode he rose from very humble circumstances to be chosen to lead the nation of Israel. And David reigned over Israel for 40 years. During that time he led the capture of Jerusalem. He established it as the capital. He unified the nation to build an empire of influence never seen before. His empire stretched all the way from Mesopotamia to Egypt. David was a shepherd, a musician, a poet, a warrior, a politician, an administrator. He was God's standard for kingship. David seemed to have it all. He was that annoying person that we all went to school with who could do everything. That was David. But the most important mark of David's life and the one that actually qualified him in God's eyes for leadership was that David was a man after God's own heart. This role of kingship, as I'm sure you could understand and we're going to unpack together, actually came with quite a set of expectations and pressures. And this is what makes this story even more awesome. Now let's talk about the significance of the Ark of the Presence before we get into the story. The Ark of the Covenant was the most important piece of furniture and symbolism that was built for the wilderness tabernacle that God gave Moses very instru- uh, specific instructions on how to build. Now, it was a big, long, rectangular chest made of acacia wood. It was overlaid with gold inside and out. It was like totally pimped up. It had two pairs of rings through which the poles would slide to make it easily transportable. Please forgive me for the language I just used about something so holy. <laughs> I'm free people. Hey, freedom's a responsibility. Back on track. So as the Israelites moved, so did the ark, and it was carried by the Levitical priests. And inside the ark were the two tablets of the law that God gave to Moses. Inside was a pot of manna, the manna that God supernaturally provided to the Israelites in the wilderness. And inside was Aaron's rod that had budded as a sign of God's authority. And so these were the things that were inside the ark. And the Israelites believed and experienced that the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of Yahweh's earthly throne, which represented his presence on earth. It was a very central symbol of God's presence with the people of Israel. And it's woven right throughout the Old Testament, right throughout the story of our forefathers. Now, it was always intended that all of life would flow from the presence of God. And even in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the physical ark that represented this presence is central to the story of our people. So there's a little bit of context. Now let's look at 2 Samuel 6. And here in this story, David is bringing the ark into the newly established Jerusalem. And this was a huge big deal. Like, way bigger than the wedding of Harry and Meghan, right? I'm talking that big people. This was a big deal and it sent a very strong message about what was going to mark King David's reign, what kind of leader he was going to be over the Israelites. And so David gathers 30,000 of his men and he heads off to collect the ark, which had been at the house of Abinadab for 20 years following its return from the Philistines. And so in verse 5, we read that David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. In other words, they were part of a traveling worship service. Imagine it, the sound of tens of thousands of voices singing, instruments playing, all worshiping God in front of the ark. The problem was, in his zeal and fervor, David failed to follow the instructions to only transport the ark using rings and poles and instead, David 
put it on a cart pulled by oxen. Sounds like the quicker and more logical option, right? Problem was, it wasn't what God had clearly prescribed and David actually knew it. And so in verse 6, we read that one of the oxen tripped, it stumbled. And Uzzah, who was one of Abinadab's sons, reached out to steady the ark and he took hold of it. Now, this is where the story gets dark. Immediately, Uzzah was struck down and killed. And the party and the celebration stopped all because there was a stumbling ox, an attempt to steady or control God's presence, and an overly zealous king. Now, David's first response was anger, but then he recoiled in fear and he abandoned his plan. He was like, I don't want the ark in Jerusalem anymore. Just leave it here. Leave it at the house of Obed-Edom. And he, let it, he left it there for three months. And in verse 9, we actually read that David was afraid of the Lord that day. Now, one commentator writes that this fear wasn't a healthy fear of God, but a guilt-induced fear. Sounds a little bit like a yoke to me that caused him with, to withdraw from God's presence in shame and embarrassment. So David went from being abandoned, joyous, free in his worship, to being yoked with fear, guilt, and shame, and held back in his worship towards God. You know, I find it interesting that when David gained the courage to try once again to bring the ark into the city of Jerusalem, the very thing that he sacrificed as part of the procession and celebration was, you guessed it, the thing that had caused the issue, an ox. Now, don't miss the metaphor that I read in the subtext here. The thing that had caused him to stumble into slavery to fear and shame became the very thing that David sacrificed as an act of worship. How many times have you and I recoiled from God's presence because we've stumbled back into an old habit, back into an old behavior or thought, slavery from things Jesus has already set us free from? Guilt, shame, condemnation, control, addiction. Well, I love that the example of David is this. Rather than allowing it to keep him at a distance from God, he used that thing to become a doorway back into his freedom. What if we use the things that try to enslave us from entering God's presence as a child of God and in worship we confess, I bring my fear to you. I bring my shame to you as an offering. I make myself and my fears a living sacrifice in your presence. That right there, that's reclaiming your freedom, the freedom that's already been purchased for you. And so David, after offering this ox to Samuel 6.14, says David danced before the Lord with all his might. So here we see David's freedom, freedom had increased. He wasn't just celebrating with songs and instruments. Now David was dancing as well. So more freedom in God's presence. I love that. He sacrificed what had caused the stumble and he had increased freedom. David took the thing that could have kept him from freedom in God and he brought it as a sacrifice because he realized, you know what? I'm not worshiping for my freedom. I'm worshiping from freedom. And he could do that because under the old covenant, he made a sacrifice of an ox that was pleasing and acceptable for God. He fulfilled the requirements under the law that allowed him to come into God's presence and to celebrate and to sing. Now, for us as new covenant believers, good news, you don't have to sacrifice an ox. <laughs> Hebrews 10 talks about this, that we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary. 
He has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And we now have a magnificent king priest to welcome us into God's house. We come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove, to remove impurity. We've been freed from an accusing conscience and now we are clean, unstained and presentable to God inside and out. That's Hebrews 10, 19 to 22 in the Passion Translation. Because of what Jesus has done, we're freed from an accusing conscience. We are freed from the things that enslave us and that should make all of us want to run around the room like I did. Now, isn't it sad in this story how Saul's daughter, David's first wife, Michal, responded to David's freedom in God's presence? In 2 Samuel 6, verse 20, we read how the king of Israel honored himself today. This is Michal talking, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. But David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father, speaking of Saul, and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased in your eyes. I I think it's really interesting here that Michal seemed to inherit her father's inability to humble himself in worship and submission. Perhaps today, your parents never worship God, Perhaps they weren't free in their worship. You can break free of that today. You see, in Mickle's eyes, there were a set of expectations that went with being a dignified king, and dancing around half-naked wasn't one of them. So what Mickle did in this statement to her husband, King David, was expose her own struggle with freedom. She was bound and yoked. She was restricted by misconceptions of what she thought things were supposed to look like. She was fearful of what others might think of her. Anyone else been there? Mickle was a queen by title, but she was a slave in her heart to fear and shame. And this slavery that God never intended her to live in resulted in an internal bitterness that never allowed her to produce natural fruit. You see, slavery always brings death, but freedom always brings life. I love David's response to her. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it this way. Oh yeah, I'm going to dance to God's glory more recklessly even than this. And as far as I'm concerned, I'll gladly look like a fool. Will you gladly look like a fool for Jesus? Because you see, a person awakened to their freedom doesn't care what anyone else thinks. One lap, I cared what people were thinking. By lap four, I could not give a rip. I was running for an audience of one. And so I asked the question I open with today. When was the last time you truly felt free? Back to my story. Exhausted with the wrestle of seeking to find answers to this question, months I went on this journey. I fell into my pillow late at night after about two weeks, between two weeks and two months of questioning this. And I cried out to God, I said, how can this be God? That here I am in life and I can't remember the last time I was abandoned, that I was free outside of worship. And immediately I was transported back in a vision to a time when I was just five years old. I touched on the season I was in when I was suffering with anxiety at a new school. Here I was, brand new, new city, new school. 
And alone each lunch hour, I would skip around this huge jacaranda tree and I would enter my own little world. I skipped and I skipped and I didn't care what anyone else thought. Now well into adulthood, I spent the next couple of years working through what it would look like to recapture that free little curl that didn't care what anyone else thought, who could freely skip to her own beat and just enjoy being with Jesus. I was looking for that congruent, authentic life. And this moment of awakening actually came in a very unexpected place. I was leading worship at our annual conference. It was called our Closer Conference at the time. And I'd come through a season of particular challenge in my personal life where I felt really restricted. It was really interesting to me that here I was going on this journey of trying to walk more in the fullness of my freedom and all of life's circumstances closed in on me. <laughs> and it was at this conference, two years, of being, two years after being asked that freedom question, and our church was in this very holy, holy and sacred moment. And we were singing this song by Cody Carnes that says, I'm sorry when I come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forget that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart again. And then we waited on our knees in the quiet. It was holy and it was beautiful. And as I bowed on my knees in the platform with my whole church family, over a thousand of them bowed on their knees all across the auditorium, I heard a whisper, a familiar whisper, that same voice that had said, Stacy, run around the room. Now that voice said to me, Stacy, get up and skip before me. Well, I'd matured a bit, so I did not hesitate. During that holy sacred moment, I awakened to the freedom that had always been mine. I skipped. I skipped up and down that platform like my five-year-old self. I ran, I danced, and I skipped. And tears streamed down my face as I awakened to my freedom and I let go of all the yokes that I had allowed to enslave me for way too long. And guess what broke out in that room? You guessed it, freedom. <laughs> the church spontaneously rose from their knees one by one. They began to clap their hands and to celebrate the freedom of their fresh forgiveness. And I'll never forget it. In the same way that King David's abandonment before God probably caused other people, not Mickle, but other people to think, if the king can dance, so can I. People saw me skipping and freedom broke out in their lives. You know, I want to spend the rest of my life living and leading that way. Something happened the day after that conference. My husband and I were at a shopping center together grabbing lunch and just reflecting. And one of my very, very dear friends, Pastor Raf. Raf Solomon sent me this text message. If I cry reading this, it's okay. This is just a powerful moment in my life. He wrote this in the text. When I saw you run and dance on the platform, I felt God speak to me about you and the church. I saw the spirit of God blow on you as you ran. And like a flower that was once bent down, you immediately blossomed. And the colors in you were so diverse and radiant, really high definition. And the fragrance which came from the blossom, literally made all who inhaled it come to the same life. And I heard God say, he was freeing the child, Stacy, and in her child state, she would use, be used to free multitudes. I recaptured that free five-year-old inner child that day. I'm so grateful to God for the reality of John 8.36 lived out in my life. If the Son sets you free, 
you will be free indeed. And God knows every detail of my life. He knows every detail of your life. The way he wove it together in that moment was glorious. I was truly worshiping from my freedom, not trying to earn what was already mine. Worship is freedom, my friends. It's not a pathway to gain freedom. It's an experience of connection with God where your heart is awakened over and over again to the freedom that is already yours. Jesus says in John 8, 32, the truth will set you free. The true state of our hearts, our constant struggle with slavery, we're all in it, will awaken us to the freedom that is ours because of the price that Jesus has already paid. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Apostle Paul says, The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Psalm 102 encourages us to come into his presence with singing. In other words, when we worship, we bring ourselves into his presence with a song. And here, in this place of surrender and connection with God, we are awakened to our freedom. Worship is freedom. So friends, that's my caption. Worship is freedom. I hope you are loving this collection so far. We have talked about worship is biblical. Worship is medicine. Worship is a a weapon. Worship is freedom. Why don't you get on social media and tell me how you want to caption it? What do you think I'm going to caption it with in the next few episodes? Well, let me give you a sneak peek. Next week, I caption worship is this way. Worship is stillness. I can't wait to be with you all then. Love ya. Bye. know that Stacy also has a guided prayer podcast. Contemplative prayer is a rich, deep and rewarding way to encounter Jesus and the scriptures. With instrumental scores written to empower your encounters with Jesus, these prayers are a chance to be still and to step out of the hustle of today's fast-paced world. Available wherever you get your podcasts by searching Guided Prayers with Stacey Hillier.